0: You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. We are here on the first Sunday of the new year, the beginning of our 85th year as a church. And instead of talking about the church and Jesus's mission for the church, just on one Sunday, because here we are at the beginning of the year, I want us to go into a new sermon series devoted to understanding, studying the history of the early church and what it will mean for us in 2024. So today we begin a whole new series devoted to the first 10 chapters of the book of Acts. You're like, okay, why just 10 chapters? I know there are more than that and you'd be right. There are 28 chapters. But the first 10 chapters will establish for us Jesus' purpose for the church, also with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The first 10 chapters will lead us to Saul's conversion, who becomes the Apostle Paul, and that 10th chapter will let us in on Peter's understanding that the good news of Jesus is for everybody. Not just the Jews, but the Gentiles also, and that's us. Beyond the 10th chapter, there's a lot about Paul's missionary journeys. And it's not that those are unimportant. But how many times do you need to see where he got run out of a town? In any case, as we come to study the history of the early church, we're not just looking at what God used to do. We're looking at what God still wants to do. And we're invited today to be part of the most important mission in the history of the world. Bottom line, this series is ultimately about the storyline of the Bible, that God is at work in this world, God is at work in churches, God is at work in lives. You see, ever since the fall of humanity, way back in Genesis chapter 3, God has been trying to reconnect with his people. Jesus Christ comes to earth and continues this work of God in a very personal, very dramatic way. Jesus does all this amazing stuff. We could read about it in any of the gospels. He heals blind people. He sets prisoners free, those who have been imprisoned by their sin, their past, their shame. He helps people get reconnected to their community. He gives people truth. He is the only way to reconnect to the Father. So on a variety of levels, Jesus was doing the very work of God, and the 12 disciples loved it. And all of those who found themselves hanging around Jesus thought it was amazing. But then one day he comes up to them and he says, I'm going to go away. And this was terribly troubling to all of them because they thought, well, if, if, if Jesus goes away, then all the work that God is doing in the world will go away. And the book of Acts helps us understand the continuation of the work of Jesus. Jesus, just because he is gone from the earth, you know, he died, he resurrected, he ascended back into heaven, doesn't mean that God's work with this world is over. Quite the opposite. It continues just as it is meant to be. He's still calling people to have a relationship with him. He's still calling people to love each other as he designed us. God is still helping people get reconnected who have been disconnected, find hope who have been hopeless. God is still opening up lives to him, and he is still calling individuals, just as he did throughout the Bible, calling them to partner with him in this world in all that he is doing. This church exists because we felt a calling of God that God has called us to do something beyond ourselves, to operate in a power beyond our natural abilities, to be used by Him to reach others, to then be connected to God, so that their marriages can be restored and their captivity to whatever it is that has enslaved them be ended. You see, God has an enemy. And because God has an enemy, God's people have an enemy. And those who are separated from Jesus, the enemy has hardened their heart and closed their eyes. And we have this good news, this great good news to tell them. That Jesus conquers sin and Jesus conquers death and he is alive and well. And we are commissioned We are sent on a mission into a world to tell others about the victory of Jesus. And it all begins right here in Acts chapter 1. If you've ever wondered, how did churches come into existence? Why is Benton Heights even here? We'll see this at the beginning of the book of Acts. First, we're going to start with Jesus' life, though. In the first three verses of Acts, here's how it begins. In my former book, Theophilus. All right, so where the author starts this is talking about his former book, his first book. He's writing about the gospel of Luke. Some of you knew that. Luke wrote both. The gospel is the prequel. Acts is the sequel. And this person, Theophilus. Now, there are some people who debate this and think, well, Theophilus is not really a person. It's just all believers because the name, it's a Greek word, name, that literally means lover of God. Well, that could be any of us, right? Anybody who believes, anybody who belongs to Jesus loves God. But this is a person. Because when Luke writes his gospel, he's writing to Theophilus, but he uses a significant title of authority. He says, most excellent Theophilus. That's someone in leadership. That's someone in in a role that has authority. And so we believe that this Theophilus was a wealthy man who underwrote Luke's journeys because Luke is tasked with investigating, researching all of the events that he writes about in his gospel. Now, you can imagine the time, the money it would take to travel all over Israel to get eyewitness accounts. This would take months. Going from town to town, asking individuals to talk about what it was like to be in Jesus' presence, to be healed by him, to have an encounter with him. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Here Luke is telling us that back in his gospel, he recorded the things that Jesus did, the things that Jesus said. So these are Jesus's works and his words. We'll say more about that in a moment. I wrote about all that Jesus did and said until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now we're going to see Jesus talk a lot about the Holy Spirit over the next several weeks. He's going to talk about the Holy Spirit, uh, Luke is anyhow, in practically every study of this series. So in the gospel of Luke, he tells us that Jesus gave us his life. In the book of Acts, he's telling us how Jesus gave his power through the person and work of the Holy Spirit. After his suffering, after Jesus suffered, in other words, after he died, after he was in the grave for three days, he presented himself to them. In other words, alive and well. And gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So let's pick back up on those ideas of Jesus' Works and Jesus's words. Most people would really would say, you know, I really like Jesus's works. I mean, look, there's Jesus. He's feeding the hungry. He's giving sight to the blind. He's welcoming children. We love that. But where the rub comes, where most people put up resistance, is not so much with Jesus's works, but it's his words. He says, "I am God. I am Savior." I am judge of the living and the dead. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The conflict, the controversy, is over his words. So anytime you read the Gospels, I want you to look at Jesus' works and say, that's amazing that Jesus would love and give and serve in such a, a perfect way. But don't overlook his words. Who he says he is, is ultimately why he died. He was put to death. Not so much because of what he did, but for the many things he said, claiming to be God. Jesus is making claims that no one else does in the history of the world. He's saying that he is the creator, he's the sustainer, he's the redeemer, he is God among us. And then if we disagree with him, we have to go back to his works and ask, is this the kind of man who would tell a lie? Is this really a deceiver, a fraud? Or does Jesus have the kind of character that compels me to not only admire his works, but to trust in his words? And that's exactly what Luke is saying. He's setting it all up around jesus when it comes to jesus's works it's not just the physical miracles that he performed it's ultimately his sinless life his death in our place on the cross for our sins it's his burial and resurrection and that constitutes the heart of jesus's works and then when he tells us you can be forgiven When he tells us that we can be free from sin, that we can trust him, that we can have eternal life, then his words and his works come together. And then Luke continues in the book of Acts to show the implications of Jesus' resurrection, that the living Jesus, what he does to and through his people. So he begins by telling us about Jesus' life, and then he transitions to telling us about Jesus' Power. Luke says on one occasion while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised. The gift, of course, is the Holy Spirit. How do we know that? Two things. Number one, Jesus promised the coming of the Holy Spirit over and over in his teachings. And number two, he's about to make it pretty clear. And as for the wait, The disciples must wait. They have no idea how long. We do know. After those 40 days that Jesus was with them after his resurrection, it was 10 days later, the Holy Spirit will pour out in an unbelievable way, and we'll get to that when we get to chapter 2 in a couple of weeks. So do not leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift the Father promised, which you have heard me speak about For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. There you have it, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? It's like, hey Jesus, welcome back from the dead. Is this the time that Israel is gonna rule over the world? Are you setting up your kingdom now to run off the Romans? After all they had witnessed, they still don't get it. No, he's not going to restore the kingdom to Israel. It's much bigger than that. Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God. So Jesus answers them It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Do you hear that? No one knows. I wish all the authors of the books that speculate when Jesus is coming back would reflect back on this passage and remember it, call it to mind, take it to heart. No one knows. So then what is the believer's purpose? What what is our purpose? What is the church's mission? Jesus continues. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Here's the big idea. Jesus's life and power are not just to be admired. A non-Christian can look at Jesus's life and admire it. Only a Christian can look at Jesus's life and power and experience it. How many of you have looked at Jesus's life and thought, that's an amazing life. He lived without sin. He never took advantage of anyone. He never stole anything. Never was inappropriate with any woman. He was always generous, always told the truth, suffered nobly. How many of you have looked at the life of Jesus and admired it? Okay, that's good, but that's not enough. Jesus doesn't want you just to admire his life. He wants you to experience his life through the person and presence and power of the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. So after Jesus rises from death, everyone is kind of excited. Hey, what do we do now? And Jesus' answer from verse 4 wait wait because as a christian we cannot live apart from his power you see jesus is not just an example for us he's the one who empowers us to follow his example do you get that so jesus tells them you will receive power now i'm going to tell an illustration that i've told several years ago, but it's because I'm not a smart man and I can only use so many illustrations. Many years ago, there was a Swedish, Swedish chemist. I knew I was going to say that wrong. Try to say that three times real fast. Swedish chemist <laughs> who was working on an experiment and he discovered a very powerful substance. And so he had to call it something because he discovered it. He called a friend of his who was a Greek scholar. Now, I don't know if this guy was a Christian or not. But the chemist asked his friend, what's the Greek word for power? It's the same word used here in the text. The Greek word for power is dunamis. It's from where we get the word dynamite. Our word dynamite comes from the Bible word that describes the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit shows up, boom, stuff happens. That means the Holy Spirit shows up, you know it. There's power. Things happen, things change. The Christian life is about that kind of power, that supernatural God-given power. But you need to be careful with this because apart from Jesus, you could misunderstand this power, you could misuse this power. The key is You cannot understand the power of the Holy Spirit apart from the life of Jesus. There's no example by which it means to live a spirit-empowered life unless we look at the life of Jesus. And so what Luke is telling us, he's saying, okay, Jesus lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. He lives without sin. He dies for our sin. He rises for our sin. He evidences it for 40 days and tells his people, don't go into ministry yet. Wait, you need power. The Holy Spirit is going to come to cause you to be like me. That's why the former book, the Gospel of Luke, and this latter book, the book of Acts, go together. So in the Gospel of Luke, there's this perfect relationship between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit through his mother Mary. Remember at Jesus' baptism... And by the way, the reason why we're celebrating the sacrament of the Lord's Supper today, this is a significant day in the life of the church because it is a remembrance of Jesus' baptism. Remember at that baptism, God the Father speaks from heaven. The whole trinity is there. God the Father speaks. Here's Jesus, the Son of God, the second member of the trinity, coming up out of the water. Who descends on Jesus? The Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. This is to show publicly that he is anointed by the Holy Spirit. He is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He is filled by the Holy Spirit. He is empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's why this is public, so that everybody can see it. This wasn't for Jesus' understanding. He already knew it. It's for our understanding. Now, let me say this. All of this is either true or some of the most arrogant statements ever uttered in the history of the world. Jesus was led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit, suffered by the power of the Spirit. He persevered by the power of the Holy Spirit. He loved by the power of the Spirit. He engaged in spiritual conflict with demons by the power of the Holy Spirit. He prayed in the power of the Holy Spirit. He trained others in the power of the Holy Spirit. He humbly, for the first 30 years of his life, took on the job as a carpenter, humbly serving in an obscure small town in a poor family by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he died still filled and led by the Holy Spirit. So, hear this: to be spirit-filled is not to avoid suffering. Sometimes it's you will suffer. It's to suffer well. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will not get you around suffering. He'll get you through suffering. That was the case with Jesus. And Jesus, we read elsewhere in the New Testament, was raised from death by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in that same section of Scripture, it goes on to say this. The Spirit of God, that same Spirit, that same power, who raised Jesus from the dead... Lives where? In you. Lives in you. The Christian. So that you don't just admire the life of Jesus, we experience the life of Jesus. All of this, friends, is for mission. It's not just so you and I can be better persons. It's not that we can achieve our potential, meet all our objectives, be all you can be. That's the army. This is exclusively for the mission of Jesus. Back to Acts chapter 1. Jesus told them, "But you will receive power, and the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses." There's our mission. In Jerusalem, that's where they were located. In all Judea, that's the larger region, so that would be like saying Monroe and Union County. Samaria which is the next region over into the end of the earth into the earth places like Asheville <laughs> West Virginia <laughs> Miami <laughs> after he said this And that explains to us where Jesus is today. Now, why all of this? Here's the big deal. It's not about your mission. It's not about my mission. It's about his mission. It's Jesus' mission. We're all a part of it. So as a church, you need to know this. We are supposed to be on his mission So our mission is to simply do what Jesus told us to do. You get that. He said that we would be his witnesses. That's the mission. So let's talk about Jesus' mission. Here are three things you've got to know. Number one, the mission is under his sovereign rule. He has ascended into heaven. Right now, he is seated on a throne, so Jesus' entire mission is under the rule and authority, under his rule and authority. I'm not in charge, Jesus is. You're not in charge, Jesus is. The whole mission on Earth is under the ruling, resurrected, reigning Jesus who is seated on his throne right now. Number two: Jesus' mission is the expansion of His kingdom through the church. There is no mission apart from the church. And you're going to see that as we get into chapters 2 and 3. Jesus doesn't start a band of organizations. He starts an organism, a living thing, called the church. And Jesus' mission is the expansion of his kingdom. His goal is always people meeting Jesus. That's the goal. So we're talking more Christians and more faithful Christians. We're talking more churches and more faithful churches. That's the mission. And number three, Jesus' mission is for all nations, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's a big request, right? The earth, that's the mission. Now, a lot of people on earth already have their own religion, The estimates are that one-third of the world's seven billion people are believers in Jesus. Now, that's a lot of people. But that means that two-thirds aren't believers. And we're supposed to go to those two-thirds, either ourselves or through others, and tell them that they're worshiping a false God? And today, you know what the first thing that would happen? We'd have to form a committee to decide whether or not that's hate speech and intolerant. But let me say this, the most loving thing we can do is to tell people about Jesus, point them to Jesus, have them meet Jesus. It starts across the street, it extends across the globe. As we go back into chapter one of Acts, the final question for today is this, how long do we do this? It was kind of their first question, and Jesus says, basically, don't worry about it. It's not for you to know the time of my return. And here's why. Jesus wants us to be less concerned with his coming and more concerned with our going. It's been 2,000 years. And some would say he's awfully slow about coming back around. The Bible says he's not slow. He's patient, waiting, waiting wanting everyone to come to repentance. I think a good analogy for this is like a marathoner's mentality. You don't just show up and sign up and then give up because it's too hard. It's about perseverance. It's about continuing forward with the mission of Jesus. Not just giving, but giving for the rest of your life. Not just serving, but serving for the rest of your life. Not just praying, but praying for the rest of your life. So we're going to continue pressing forward by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this requires our witness. 39 times in the book of Acts, talks about us being witnesses. And the word witness comes from the same Greek word, root word, as the word martyr. Witness and martyr are aligned It's about trading your life. And you know, there are a lot of reasons why you and I would not want to talk about Jesus opposition. Somebody's going to criticize us, somebody may ostracize us. He tells us to be his witnesses. That's praying for people, loving people, serving people, but also speaking to people and talking to them about Jesus, coworkers, neighbors, family, friends, even enemies. This is what we are commissioned to do, to be witnesses wherever God has placed us, to be witnesses to the person and work of Jesus. And when you don't think you can, or when you don't think you'll have the words to say, pray. Pray. And let the Holy Spirit empower you. He will. Pray for that boldness. Pray for the words. Pray for the opportunity. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.